Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Thursday, June 29th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right. How's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? Yes, there was no show last night. And I have a good excuse. I have a good excuse, teacher. I have a great excuse. I really do. I think it's one of the best excuses ever for skipping work. I do. I do. I was at the perfect game. I was in Oakland at the uh, at the perfect game. You know, I had mentioned on, on Tuesday night's show that the show might be a little late on Wednesday because I was going to the ball game. I don't know what time I'd get home. But I figured, you know, the games are really going about two and a half hours these days because of the pitch clock which has made the games about a half hour, 45 minutes shorter. I figured I'd be back by 10 o'clock, 10.30, eh, be ready to go. But, of course, this is sports, and you never know what's going to happen, right? So there I am in Oakland. Of course, the A's are having this horrible season, really, one of the worst seasons in the history of not just the Oakland A's but of baseball. And uh, no one's been going to the games. They've been drawing maybe – 800 people a game. Uh, but the Yankees are in town. And when the Yankees are in town, they always do a little bit better, right? Um, so they were drawing maybe, I think, 12,000. Uh, still, of course, pathetic. And it was like 90% Yankee fans. So there we are in this mostly empty stadium with a uh, actually a, a person who I've been chatting with on Twitter, a big Yankee fan. There's a bunch of... Like really rabid Yankee fans. I'd like to do a documentary about them sometime, and I might. And I deal with it on Twitter. We tweet back and forth. And we've done this for the last few years. And I met one of them. He, he he lives in the L.A. area, and he came up for the games. And so I met him for the first time at the game. We sat together, him and a couple of his other, other friends of his. And uh, we're watching the game, and the Yankees are – Blowing out the A's ended up being like 11 nothing, But, you know, as the game goes on, we get into the fourth, fifth inning, and we say to each other, I don't think the picture named Domingo Herman, I don't think Herman's given up a, a base runner yet. And he said to me, well, there are no hits, but has he given up a walk? Has anyone been on base? I said, no, I don't think so. I don't think anyone's been on base yet. And so going to the fifth inning, sixth inning, and I don't take these things seriously, you know, no hitters in perfect games until maybe you get into the seventh inning. Then you start thinking we're down to nine outs and something could happen here. So we get into the seventh inning and then we say to each other, this, this is really happening. What's going on here? And to make it even odder, uh, more odd, uh, the Domingo Herman, the starter, had gotten bombed his previous two outings, gave up like, 15, 16 runs more in his last two outings. So we're like wondering what's happening. It's like the twilight zone. And, uh, you know, look, the A's are not a good team. Their offense is horrible. The team in general is is pathetic. But still, they're a major league team, right? They're a major league team. Usually a major league team can manage three or four hits, walk a couple of walks, you know, that kind of thing. And also, you have to remember, in a perfect game, your defense matters because you your team can't make any errors behind you. If your team makes an error, your perfect game is gone, right? So it's a real team effort, and it's incredibly rare. So we're in the seventh inning, 
And then we start to get nervous. And uh, then comes the eighth inning. And <laughs> we're down to six outs. And it was a very quick one, two, three. We're thinking, we can't believe this is happening. He's three outs away from pitching a perfect game. Now, I want to express how rare a perfect game is. It's much more rare than a no-hitter, which seems to happen at least once or twice a year now. Before this one, there were only 23. So this was the, this was the 24th no-hitter in the history of the game of baseball. So someone did some kind of a, uh, I think that's the percentage chance of a, of a no-hitter happening is 0.01%. That's the percentage chance of, of a no-hitter actually happening. Someone put up a list, I'll read it in a bit, about all the probabilities of things happening in the world of sports, whether it's someone scoring 60 points in an NBA game, someone throwing a no-hitter, whatever it may be. And the perfect game is actually the rarest event in sports, more rare than a player scoring 60 points in basketball, more rare than a no-hitter, more rare than a bowler, um, 300, right, perfect game. The rarest occurrence, right? Because think about it, 24 now in the entire history of the game of baseball. And so we get to the ninth inning, and we're counting it down, and it was – very quick. It, this wasn't a game where sometimes you see a no-hitters. Those of you who might remember Matt Cain's no-hitter in 2012 for the Giants. There were a couple of – in fact, they replayed it today. There were a couple of amazing plays, you know, where the ball's hitting the gap and the, the outfielder dives and catches it and saves uh, a base hit. There wasn't many hard-hit balls. In fact, the stat cast said only one ball, so 27 up. 27 down, that's a no-hitter. That's a perfect game. He struck out nine of the 27, and so there were 18, right, outs that were recorded by either pop-up or ground ball. And only one had a hit probability over 50%, and that was a line drive, kind of a like a blue pump-back line drive that had, a, I think, a 60% hit probability. Everything else had under a 50-50 chance of being well under a 50-50 chance. A lot of what they call soft contact, pop-ups and ground balls. And that was the case in the ninth inning. It was three ground, it was three easy, I think it was two ground balls and a pop-up and it was over. And we had witnessed a perfect game. I mean, a witness to perfect game, been there in person, and there were only 12,000 of us there. It's a shame there weren't 50,000 people there, but only 12,000 of us witnessed this in person, this incredibly 0.01% chance of this happening, 24 in the history of the game of baseball, you know, over 100 years. It's insane. And the first one, I believe, in 11 years. So it was incredible. It really was. I mean... Remarkable. It's only the second baseball game I've been to all season long. The first game that the Yankees uh, played that I've seen them play in person. And it's a perfect game. Uh, my friend drives up from L.A. and he sees a perfect game. We met for the first time after corresponding on Twitter uh, for years. And we witnessed this, this perfect game. They can never take that away from me. You know, and it was so it was an amazing thing. So we get out 
about 9.30. It's a quick game, like two and a half hours. And we're like, we're, like, we're not just going to go our separate ways this early. We're going to celebrate this. So he says, where can we get a drink in Oakland? I said, I don't think we can get a drink anywhere in Oakland if we want to live. So we need to go to San Francisco. So I knew of a nice bar close to where I live here in San Francisco. When we went to the bar, we had a drink. And it's just, I think we were there for like over two hours. And finally I said, well, I guess the show isn't happening tonight. So that is why I had to take Wednesday night off because it was just a special day, a special night, witnessing a perfect game with friends, people I had met for the first time. I want to, I really want to emphasize how rare this whole thing is, how rare it is to witness a perfect game, but with people you've never met before that you're meeting for the first time and you happen to go to this game. I mean, there are tons of games that this could have, you know, I, I could have met. Uh, you know, uh, my friend at in the past, and we, this game it happened. This game, this game, you know, it's just it was insane. It's insane. It's one of those things where you like it's supposed to happen. It's like, what is it? It's like it's like energy. It's karma. It's a weird thing, but it was just it's just incredible, incredible night. And now I've witnessed a uh, no hitter. I was a no hitter in 1992, a Yankee pitcher. Remember the left-handed kid with one arm, Jim Abbott. I was at that no hitter. So I've been to a, I wonder how many people have been to a no hitter and a perfect game. I've witnessed a no hitter and the perfect game. One of only 24 in the history of baseball. So I was too, too crazy to do a, to a show last night. I, I could never have gotten my, my thoughts together. It was just absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. It was a great time. And it was just just a lot of fun. And witnessing history like that is just uh, totally, totally amazing. Um, and so that's why I wasn't so that's a good excuse, I think, for not having not having had a show last night, right? It was impossible to talk politics after that i just wanted to enjoy the night have a beer just uh, absorb what had happened try to understand <laughs> what i witnessed and uh and let it sink in you know so great night great night who, who would expect this to happen in oakland crazy right crazy things you never know and that's the great thing about sports is that you never know what's going to happen you never know what's going to happen that particular night you can see History, even a game that's been around over well over a hundred years, you can see history, and you don't expect it, and it just happens. And so that's that was last night. I was there. You know, it's a shame we were talking about this in the old days. You'd have a ticket, right? A physical ticket, right? You've seen it. People go to uh, World Series games or no hitters, and they put up they they frame the ticket, right? And you see it, and it even starts to yellow around the edges. And oh, this is my ticket from 1968. Now you don't even have that anymore. It's a I have a barcode. How's that? How's that? Isn't that great? Isn't that romantic? I have a barcode. I can frame a barcode. I can do a screenshot. I have a well. I have a screenshot of a barcode. That's what I have. So there's something lost in all this that you don't have a physical tickets anymore. You know, it's very rare. Because most people buy these things online, 
um, it's easier and cheaper, and you have a no physical ticket, you have a barcode. So that's the bad thing about like technology, modern day technology, is that there's something lost. There's something lost in the romanticism of having like, you know, like um, a physical ticket to show from an event. You see it all the time, right? I was at the Ali Frazier and I have my ticket and I was at this and I was at the, you know, the Thriller in Manila and here's my ticket. And now it's, <laughs> it's a barcode. So anyway, that's, that's the bad thing about, about, uh, about technology. All right. So, um, we're back to politics, I guess, you know, sometimes I just want to stay away. Sometimes I want to stay away. They were, they, they were, we were talking last night with, these friends, these, these sports fans, baseball fans after the game. And they had asked me, do you do uh, sports on your podcast? And I said, well, not really, uh, you know, time to time I'll, I'll talk about it, but I, I do politics. I just do politics. And I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe I should start doing sports and some other stuff because this stuff is politics is so depressing. It gets me incredibly angry. It really does. I was in such a good mood last night, you know, and I'm thinking, do I want to come on and talk about Joe Biden? Do I want to talk about Donald Trump? Do I want to talk about all the Michigas that's happening? And uh, and trivia. Yes, Daniel, we could do trivia. Karthik would be very happy. Hey, where's Karthik when you need him? I'm sure he'd love to hear about my uh, witnessing this, this, this perfect game in person. But uh, it's like... You, you, you turn to what's going on, the, the, the current events, right? And it's all depressing stuff. It truly is depressing stuff because of the reaction to things. You think, when you think, oh, people can't get any dumber, right? People can't get any dumber. They get dumber. And that's the depressing thing is how many dumb people we have out there. Just total morons, right? So what happened earlier today? We know the big event of the day was the Supreme Court decision, right? The Supreme Court decision was the big event of the day. The, 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 the very narrow decision, by the way, uh, affirmative action, unfortunately, wasn't deemed illegal across the board. Maybe this will lead to that, but it was a very narrow decision. It was just simply college admissions in universities, really college admissions in the university system. That's it. Where the Supreme court deemed that affirmative action was not constitutional. Could you imagine that? That racism is unconstitutional, that favoring one race over another is not constitutional. I, it's shocking to me, isn't it? It's, you know, you know who it's really shocking to liberals. Liberal, the, the apoplectic liberal response, the, the predictably apoplectic liberal response to the uh, Supreme Court decision today. It's just it's 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 mind blowing. It's at once depressing and laughable. It's depressing that people can be so fucking dumb, so stuck in their in their no common sense worldview narrative that they don't see that what the Supreme Court just did was make racism illegal. And that's bad to the liberal. It's particularly bad to the elitist, wealthy, white liberal. 
It's amazing how the wealthy elitist white liberal wants to keep black people down. They want black people to need them. They want black people to need them and their help. They want black people to need their help to make it. Why? It's some very deep-seated racism within the liberals, within the Democratic Party, which is the party of racism. It just is. That's history. You can't change history. The Democratic Party has incredibly racist roots to it. And so, remember, it was a Republican, Lincoln, who freed the slaves, not a Democrat. There wasn't Obama. <laughs> you might think it's Obama. It's not. If you watch MSNBC or The View, it's Obama. But it was Lincoln. It was a Republican. So these deep-seated Democrats, even George Wallace going as far as the late 60s, incredibly racist, right? So they are very upset, as racists would be, that racism was deemed illegal, right? They're very upset about this. They're very upset about this. There's one particular account that has gotten a lot of views today, 1.1 million as we speak. And there was actually some discussion as to whether this was a real account or a parody account because this person named Erica Marsh, M-A-R-S-H, and she has in her profile – Proud Democrat, former field organizer to elect Biden, volunteer for the Obama Foundation. She, her, she, her. Um, put up this particular tweet. The tweet said, today's Supreme Court decision is a direct attack on black people. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system, which is exactly why affirmative action-based programs were needed. Today's decision is a travesty. Let me... Read again what she said. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system. So people thought that was a parody. Someone pretending to be a Democrat saying that as a, as a parody. But no, a little bit of investigation would show this is a real individual. Erica Marsh is a real individual. And she was totally ratioed. For that incredibly, disgustingly racist, white supremacist comment. And though, so she comes back several hours later with another tweet saying, allow me to clarify this tweet, which is being manipulated for propaganda and misinformation by, in capitals, ultra MAGA, ultra MAGA. The intention of my tweet is to highlight that prior to affirmative action, there existed a supposedly merit-based system for black individuals to gain admission to colleges. However, these institutions employed racial profiling to prevent black individuals from attending under the guise of the merit system. I want to emphasize that my statement in no way suggests that black individuals are less intelligent than people of other races. Let me go back to what her original tweet was. No black person will be able to succeed in a merit-based system. That's what she said. So her racism, her obvious racism is not racism, according to her, because that's being manipulated by ultra MAGA. I need like a reverb when I say that, right? Ultra MAGA. Um, so I simply wrote to her, you know, hey, sweetheart, honey, baby, um, that ultra MAGA thing is getting a little old. You know, I know you're... Um, 
PR people, your spin people, your, uh, uh, you know, uh, the people at the DNC who try to manipulate language and words and use slogans that get liberals hard-ons came up with that whole thing. But it's getting a little old, sweetheart, you know. Um, but they use that because they know their people are dumb enough to believe it. So, you know, you have to have a really dumb ba- – you have to have, like, fucking really stupid voters – a really idiotic voter base, really idiotic followers. So, you know, use something like Ultra MAGA to say, oh, Ultra MAGA is twisting this into being racist, saying no black person will ever be able to succeed in a merit-based system. That's not racist. Ultra MAGA is racist. And But they know their people are dumb enough to believe this. Look at Joy Behar. She's a fucking moron. Look at the people that you talk to, all these fucking idiotic white liberal women who are totally fucking morons. I mean, they have no fucking brains, right? And they love keeping black people down. It makes these women sexually aroused, I think, to show how superior they are to black people all the time. The way it it makes them excited to think that black people need them to make it in the world. They want to keep it that way. Okay. They want black people to need them. They want black people to beg them for help. Please put in programs that help us master because we can't make it on our own. That's what they want. That gets them sexually excited. It's, it's, is it sexual, psychological, psychosexual, whatever it may be. That's what it is. And 90% of the people you see who were upset by the fact that black people, the Supreme Court said black people are smart enough to make it just like white people, okay? That that offends these white, wealthy, elitist liberals. It absolutely offends them. They don't seem to get it. They don't seem to get it. How racist that idea is that black people need the help of the government to make it. Now, when all this uh, affirmative action started a long time ago, the question was always, this was always the argument for it. Well, black people were kept down, I guess, mostly by Democrats for so long and oppressed that they need to catch up, right? That that gap was created. Okay. So then those people who were against affirmative action said, well, how long is that going to be? How how long do you need? How how long does it take that gap to fill in? And the people who were for affirmative action never said forever. They would say things like 10 years, 20 more years, right? Not forever, just until the gap is filled in, you know? And this argument is what I heard 40 years ago. And then I heard it again 30 years ago. Then I heard it again 20 years ago. And it's never ended. The Supreme Court finally, in this very narrow ruling, college admissions to universities, ended it in the year 2023. But they would want this forever. Now, understand this. Once again, it's not mostly black people that want this. It's white liberal elites that want this. Think of, just really think about that for a second. Or black elites like Michelle Obama, 
as as Jimmy Fallon said, not Fallon, Fallon from Fox said, how nice it is of her to tweet from one of her mansions about how black people can't make it without affirmative action. So it's it's never the it's never your average of African-American person. Right. Who's begging for this. It's the white, mostly white liberal, elitist, wealthy liberal or the elitist, wealthy black liberal. Those are the ones who are always screaming that we need these programs. Which are obviously racist against everyone. They're racist against other races and they're racist against blacks. It's total racism. Some people say it's reverse racism. I get it, but I think it's just simply blanket racism. It's racist. When you start using race as the deciding factor, if someone gets a job or doesn't, it's racist. So if you're doing it against people to prevent them from getting jobs, it's racist. If you're doing it to promote people to give them jobs because of race, if you're doing any here, let me make this simple. If you're doing anything based on the color of someone's skin, it's racist. If you're doing something based on merit, it's not racist. But the left can't seem to understand that because of the white knight syndrome. Liberals love being white knights. They love the white knight syndrome because it keeps them above minorities. It keeps them above blacks, Latinos, all minorities. And they love that. Consciously and subconsciously. Consciously and subconsciously, they love it. They get off on it. It makes them feel superior. But this is the pattern of the coastal liberal elite. Man, most of these people along the coast, you're not going to find many of these people in Nebraska or Missouri or Alabama or Mississippi. Who came up with the term? I was thinking about this today. Who came up with the term flyover states? It was liberal elites on the coasts. It was mostly white liberal elites on the coast who came up with the incredibly disgusting term flyover state. They don't matter. Only the coasts matter, particularly New York and California, right? Who came up with that? It's white, liberal, wealthy elites on the coasts who came up with that term flyover states. These people are the most racist, disgusting, prejudiced people ever. And they gaslight you by pretending that you are the racist for calling out their racism. That is the gaslighting of the left. And I just love how apoplectic they've become. And I'm sharing this with other conservatives who are just apoplectic. Someone posted a guy named Benny Johnson on Twitter said the Supreme Court, racism is wrong. Libs. And it's that photo of that woman. Remember the, the obviously lesbian woman uh, screaming up into the air when Donald Trump became president. That's what basically the Supreme Court said. Racism is wrong, especially in the year 2020, 23. We don't need to be doing this anymore. 
We don't need to be doing this anymore. But it's the left that has been racist always and continues to be racist always, right? Remember Joe Biden? If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. I don't remember any Republican ever saying that. It's the Democrats who are the racists. They've always been the racists. Always. Please remember something. If you don't like somebody, if you have a chip on your shoulder against somebody because they're Mexican or Venezuelan or black or Latino or Asian, I don't consider that racism. I don't particularly get it. But I don't consider that racism because racism is keeping someone down, having the power to keep someone down. You can call someone silly or stupid or ignorant or non-tolerant if they feel that way towards a certain group. But when they have the power to keep people at their at their knees, that is racism. It's having power over people. Having power to keep people down. That's racism. And the Democrats have had that power. They have the power to politically, through politics, through legislation, through executive order, and and previously through the Supreme Court, to keep a certain race or races down beneath them, below them, under the guise, under the guise of equity and equality under the guise of equity and equality. Because, of course, they could never call it what it is, which is just abject racism. And once again, they lie. They lie. This is a very – once again, I believe this should be across the board, and hopefully it will be eventually. Maybe this will spread. Maybe this will be a good social contagion, contagion and spread everywhere. But the, the, the ruling, just like with Roe v. Wade, it was very narrow. It's, it's being sent back to the states. But the liberal Democrats, because their base is so fucking dumb, it doesn't even read, doesn't, doesn't do any of their own uh, research, just believes what they see on television by Russia Maddow and nervous Chris Hayes and the actor Lawrence O'Donnell and so on and so forth, is they believe that the Supreme Court made abortion illegal. They did no such thing. They sent it to the states for the states to decide, meaning the voters in those states to decide. And this is the same thing. It's a very narrow decision. So the left will have people believe that this is across the board. Affirmative action is gone. It's not. It's in admissions in universities. That's it. But they'll lie. And they try to use it as a wedge issue. And uh, now let's let's election get out there and show those racist Republicans and that racist Supreme Court. We're not going to stand for it. And their idiot voters eat it up. Their idiot voters, they grovel. They eat it up like pigs in a pen. So they know they can get away with it. Do pigs in a pen eat? They roll around in their own shit, right? Pig pen, pig pen. And they believe it. 
So, you know, they get together and they get all excited. They go, oh, great. We know this is a narrow issue that will affect about eight people, but we're going to pretend it affects the entire fucking country. And we're going to use it as a wedge issue to get votes from our dumbass voters who don't even have the fucking knowledge, the wherewithal to look things up, to spend 10 minutes of their own time trying to find out the real truth. Just believing whatever they are told by MSNBC or CNN or morons, total morons like Joy Behar and Joy Reid. Joy, too joyless. Maybe maybe Joy is the new Karen. It's amazing. Imagine thinking that Joy Behar and Joy Reid know things. Imagine just the person who believes that those two Utter morons know anything shows how stupid people in this country are, how stupid these liberal Democrats are. One look, forget about what comes out of their mouths, the bile they spew. One look at them and you know they're total idiots. Anyone with a brain with an IQ above eight, just looking at them would know they're total fucking morons. I wouldn't take advice on what to eat that day from them, let alone my my political ideology. And yet, and yet, millions and millions and millions of people do. That's the depressing thing about politics. That's the depressing thing. That there are people out there like this that have control over us many times to decide who is our governor or a mayor or president. And we'll continue to. Because unfortunately, like I said, I'm a big, I'm a big constitutional guy, whether I agree with what it says, whether, whether it, 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 uh, affirms my will or my worldview or not, or goes against my worldview. I believe in the constitution and where it goes against my worldview is it allows everyone who's a citizen, 18 plus, to vote, right? No IQ tests, no common sense tests, nothing, you know? All these tests that you have to pass for so many other things, right? You're going to pass a written test to get a license to drive. You need so many different licenses and tests to get all these other things in life, but you can vote no matter what, no matter how dumb you are. And that's what the Constitution gives us the right, and that's it. And that's where we are. So these people will always have the right to vote and the right to ruin our lives. And that's the, that's the depressing thing. That's the depressing thing. Any, anyone who's for these programs in 2023, these affirmative action racist programs in 2023 is an idiot. They're an idiot. But they're, they're out there. We saw that today. We saw how insane they went over this one little narrow decision, which was a very good decision, by the way. A very good, crisp decision by the Supreme Court of the United States. Hopefully more are coming. So, um, Ron DeSantis was interviewed by Jesse Waters. Now, I, I said in a couple of shows back that Jesse Waters is getting 
Tucker Carlson's new slot. And that he's a, been, he's a big pro-Trumper. He is. He's a huge Trump guy. And I said that Fox News, 80% of the people on there are pro-Trump. They're constantly pushing. I mean, this is like, you know, any, any national poll that shows, that shows Trump way ahead. Even if, it's, even if it's the same poll, they'll show it over and over again. Yet they won't show these state polls like the one we just saw in Wisconsin, I believe, or Michigan, Wisconsin, which showed DeSantis like 16 points ahead. They don't show those. They don't show the, the state by state. Once again, all polls this far out are garbage. But they won't even show the more pertinent state polls since it's a state by state election. They won't show those. They'll just show the national poll. So they're up Trump's ass 24 seven. And they're not putting Jesse Waters in Tucker Carlson's spot. Tucker Carlson was not a, a really a pro Trumper. And so they're putting a pro Trumper, a more typical pro Trumper in the most coveted spot on Fox. And I said, that's par for the course. Well, Jesse Waters did just do an interview with Ron DeSantis and they had this interesting interview while they were both eating pizza. And I think they were both eating pizza because of this new thing the left wants to do, which is get rid of coal ovens, right? So you can't have the, the pizza, the coal fired pizza that tastes so good, right? And of course, it doesn't matter that you would need to burn. Someone said you need to burn something like 9,000 of those simultaneously to burn as many fossil fuels as John Kerry burns on one flight on one of his jets. So once again, this is more garbage. This is like the gas ovens. Now it's coal fucking stoves. It's They're such idiots. All they want is regulations. And what they really want, as we've talked about, um, the wood fire, the wood fire stoves, you know, which ones I'm talking about, which make the pizza taste so good. Um, they want to regulate small businesses into obscurity. They want everything the left does over the last three years with COVID, with environmental crap shows they want to ruin small businesses. Any chance they have to regulate small businesses out of existence, they will do because that's part of the Great Reset. Who buys up these spaces? Corporate America. Who buys up these spaces? Big realtors and developers. And that's what they want. And they want this society of the very wealthy and the very poor. And just like Democrats love affirmative action because it makes blacks need them, they want the very poor to need the very rich. Right? Can I have some more, sir? Can I have some more? That's what they want. That's the world they want. So they're doing all the stuff with pizza now. So DeSantis and, and, and Jesse Waters had a had a little interview while they were eating while they were eating pizza. And it was a, actually a really good interview. Now, most of these interviews with DeSantis are good because DeSantis is so good. He gives just incredibly crisp, strong answers. And so I will I will play a little bit of this if I can if I can cue this up. So Good Lord. And never I easy for me to do this, but uh, I'm going to cue this up. This is, I believe, uh, Jesse Waters asking Ron DeSantis about Trump's argument that he's being disloyal. So Trump says you're disloyal for running against him. And do you do you feel you know disloyal to Trump? Trump says you're disloyal. Do you feel that way? 
Disloyal to who? I mean, you know, politicians have to earn support. They're not entitled to support. Uh, I did a lot for him in 2016 and 2020, by the way. I was happy to do it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm loyal to my family, to our Constitution, and to the good Lord. And I have a vision. Uh, I think I'm the guy that can beat Biden. But even more importantly, no more excuses on these issues. I'm going to get all of this stuff done. We'll have a plan on day one to get going and get cracking. We'll give you two great terms for eight years and really get the country on a fundamentally different path. I think I'm the guy to do it. And so I have uh, the responsibility to step up and serve. So that's a great answer, right? Perfect. Perfect answer. I mean, it's actually idiotic for Trump to say he's being disloyal. We know that. But, um, you know. Those are the kinds of things he's going to say because Trump believes in Trump believes in loyalty, one way loyalty. You got to be loyal to the king. You got to be loyal to him, right? You notice I didn't say Maga King. I did to the king. You have to be loyal to him. He doesn't have to be loyal to you. He could fire you and then badmouth you, right? As he does everyone who either quits or is fired, right? By him, he he badmouths them. So he doesn't. He believes in one way loyalty. You cannot if you write a book. Talking about him, you're disloyal. But he can badmouth you and bash you on Twitter and True Social all he wants because he believes in one-way loyalty. And that's Donald Trump. So he can fuck himself with his loyalty. Um, DeSantis said it in a better way than I would. But it's true. He has to be loyal to the people of this country. right? He has to be loyal to people who need someone who can actually be a legitimate a sane president. Okay, imagine that having a legitimate, a legit sane president who can actually get things done. Imagine that. Someone who's not always embroiled in dramas or impeachments or indictments or or someone who doesn't know his way on stage or off stage. You see what happened today with Biden? I can't play it because it's visual where he was doing this very, very you know, soft-pedaled um, interview on MSNBC. And he actually gets up and walks off. It's live television. He doesn't know at this point how many interviews on television has he done in 50 years. He's president now, and he doesn't know that you sit there until they go to commercial and then you say goodbye. In the middle of the damn segment, he just gets up and walks away. This guy is incredibly embarrassing. So you have two guys who are just embarrassments. They are. Look, you, you're a hypocrite. We've talked about this before. If you mention Biden's age, but you think Trump is okay, you're a hypocrite, right? If you mention Trump's age, but think Biden's okay, you're a hypocrite. They're both too old. They both should go away. The way Geraldo Rivera has now gone away at 80, these guys need to go away. It's time to go away. You've had a good career. Go away, please. So it'll be nice to have a young, sane, vibrant president who has proven he can get things done. He's proven it, right? We've seen it in Florida. He can get things done. It doesn't take him years to get things accomplished. If a bridge needs to be built, he builds it in 72 hours, okay? If something needs to be done, he gets it done. That's Ron DeSantis. It would be amazing, totally amazing, to have a president like that. This is Ron DeSantis, once again, talking about the cartels, talking about the immigration issue, okay? 
really in place in Arizona. There's a piece of wall that it just kind of stops. So the guy just goes on the other side of where the wall ends, look out. He just motions for people to go. There's no border patrol to be found. They're in town processing people. And so they're bringing product into our country. They're killing a lot of people. So one of the things that we, what I saw, the places where there were barriers, the cartels will actually cut through the steel beams and they'll smuggle in backpacks with a lot of drugs. So what I said is, wait a minute, we defend the territory of our own country. We'll have military, we'll have everyone down there. If you are in the cartels cutting through our fence to bring drugs in, that's going to be the last thing you do because we're going to leave you stone cold dead. We are having adequate rules of engagement. I was so there you go. And people, the liberals will probably say, oh, God, stone cold dead. Oh, no. Oh, God, that's so drastic and so mean. Well, what these cartels are doing is they're leaving children stone cold dead. Parents are finding children in the fentanyl fold, stone cold dead in their bedrooms, on their beds, on the floors because of these cartels. So I say, yes, kill them. Kill these people before they can kill our children. I agree 100% with Ron DeSantis. 100%. Remember, Trump never finished his wall, by the way. Trump never finished his wall. Another issue about Donald Trump is saying things that just he'll never do, right? We see this in politicians all the time, right? They'll say, I'm going to do this for sure, and they never did it. Now, we remember, people seem to have forgotten this. In 2016, you'll remember that Trump promised to drain the swamp and, and lock her up. Now, the lock her up was the Hillary thing for doing things we knew were illegal, which were illegal, which are illegal, which she should be in prison for. But the lock her up thing wasn't like a, a little aside where he said it once in a tweet. It was a constant mantra of his campaign to the point where at his convention, everyone that was there speaking for him said, remember Flynn, remember Flynn, General Flynn, lock her up and the entire audience at the Republican convention was chanting, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. So lock her up wasn't just this little aside, ha, ha, ha. He was actually saying, and he said it in a debate with Hillary. You don't want me to win because I'm going to lock you up. Did he lock her up? No. As soon as he won, he said, oh, that was a, we have to let bygones be bygones. That was a campaign thing, right? So this is Ron DeSantis, if I can cue this up. Exciting. At a town hall. Uh, DeSantis trades jabs at a duel. Oh, this was New Hampshire, right? They were all in New Hampshire. And he mentioned this. Is, and I remember these rallies in 2016. It was exciting. Drain the swamp. I also remember lock her up, lock her up, right? And then two weeks after the election, oh, don't forget about it. Forget I ever said that. No, no, no. One thing you'll get from me, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm not just saying that for an election. It right, so what Trump did basically, I sorry if I can pick this up, what Trump really did basically was he um, did it to get votes, right? He did it to get his base riled up. This is exactly what I talk about when it comes to the Democrats with these wedge issues like abortion and affirmative action. And they lie about it to get their votes, people to come out and vote for them and get their base riled up. So basically, that's what Trump did. The lock her up and the drain the swamp was to get people to vote for him, to get votes. And then after, obviously, we know we've talked about the people he hired. Forget about draining the swamp. But 
Then he said immediately, when his people were like, you won. When are we locking her up? Well, uh, you know, we have to, I'm, I'm, I'm president now. We have other things we're going to. So he, he basically said, without saying it, I said this just to get you idiots to vote for me. And what Ron DeSantis is saying is, if I say it, I'm going to do it. I would not say lock her up if I'm not going to lock her up. But if I'm going to say lock her up for a year and a half, I'm going to lock her up. This is lost on many people. The politicians need to keep their word. In other words, at least try, right? Trump should have at least tried to lock up Hillary Clinton. There's nothing saying he had to, the, the right or the ability to meet, to you know wave a magic wand and put Hillary Clinton in jail. Unfortunately, no. But, or fortunately, no. We know we don't want people like Biden who can use their Justice Department for that. But at least go through the legal proceedings, right? Use the law. Do something. Try. He didn't do that. Obviously, this was just a slogan to get votes. They were all slogans to get votes, right? Be it lock her up, be it drain the swamp. They were just slogans to get votes. And so Ron DeSantis is not going to do that. He's not going to do that. And so when Trump supporters say, well, he got this done. He kept his word. Promises made. Promises kept. No, they weren't. They weren't. He didn't keep any of his promises. He had four years to do this. He didn't lock her up. He didn't even try to lock her up. He didn't drain the swamp. Didn't even try to drain the swamp. And in four years, he did not get. What else did he talk about in 2016? Build the wall, right? It was drain the swamp, build the wall, lock her up. He did none of the three in four years. So why would you think he's going to do it in the next four years, in his last four years? He wouldn't even have eight years. He'd have four years. So DeSantis is making the point that politicians like Trump say things to get elected and then don't do anything. In other words, if you think you can get something done, say you will. If you know you're not going to try to do it, you can't just say it to get votes. So I think – what Ron DeSantis is doing, and this has been brought up in many articles, is playing this long game, right, of where you're going you're gonna to chip away and chip away and chip away and chip away at Trump's base, at his cult. And we've talked about this before. There's probably 8 to 10 percent of Republicans who won't leave that cult no matter what. They're not going to leave it. They're going to vote for Trump. It doesn't matter. Everything I'm saying, anything Ron DeSantis is saying, anything people with sanity and common sense are saying is not going to matter. Forget about those people. They don't matter. They're not enough to give Trump the nomination. What you have to do is get the rest of the people, you know, who all they know is Donald Trump, right? All they know is Donald Trump and they feel he was a pretty good president and he hasn't been treated very well by the Democrats and so on and so forth. You have to get those people to realize it's over. It's over. If you want to get your revenge, whatever it may be, against Democrats and what they've done, you're going to have to do it through Ron DeSantis. You have to do it through Ron DeSantis because he has a much better chance at defeating Biden. And there have been more early polls. Well, not even early polls. I mean, independents have never liked Donald Trump, right? From 2015 till now, in eight years, he hasn't polled well with independents. 
And so that's continuing now. DeSantis is doing much better with independence. He's doing better in head-to-head matchups against Biden. Once again, these are all very early hypotheticals, but these are, this is the case. So that's the case Ron DeSantis makes where he says he has a better chance to actually win um, than, than Donald Trump, which is the case I've made ultimately, which is the most important case, right? So, and also that he will be a much better president. He'll follow up on his promises. He, he did that in Florida. He'll keep his word. He's not just going to say things to get votes. He'll be sane. It won't be total drama all the time. It won't be about impeachments and indictments for four years. All of this stuff makes him the much better candidate and the much better president. And he's just going to whittle away at that 90% who is open-minded when it comes to switching from Trump to DeSantis. Um, here's a, I feel like I'm a lot of clips tonight, but whatever. If we're not going to get calls, we're going to do clips. But these are people talking about, uh, I guess, Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire and how they, how they feel about him. Some voters already making up their minds. I really like DeSantis. I thought he was very well spoken. And yeah, I thought the crowd was energetic. So, so yeah, I mean, there are people who were, and this is all part of the campaign process, right? Everyone knows Donald Trump. Come on. How many rallies has he had in the last eight years? Ad nauseum. So he's on the top of people's minds if you're a Republican. Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis is new. There are those of us who follow these things very closely, politics and whatever may be happening. And, and we're like, uh, and these people are like, no, DeSantis isn't new. But he is new. To many of these voters, he's new. They haven't seen his rallies yet. They haven't seen him talk in person yet. They haven't met him yet. So this is all the process of running for president, of, of really, would you call, I guess, grassroots, person-to-person campaigning, Right. And so the more people hear him, the more they'll like him and the more they'll realize that he's the way to go. And that's the that's the long game. You know, just a little personal note. I don't have the money or visibility or machine that Ron DeSantis has when I ran for Congress. But people always told me, Mike, when you go and talk to people, you get them on your side. They don't know about you until you meet them and talk to them. But when you do, you have a good chance of getting them to vote for you. And that's the same thing with Ron DeSantis. Once he's out there and getting people to vote for him, getting people to listen to him and talking to people and having them hear his plans and his policies, they say, I like this guy. And his slogan that he's using at some of these, at least this one in New Hampshire, restore sanity, is a great slogan because it works as an anti-Trump and an anti-Biden slogan. Right. Restore sanity. We need sanity. Remember, Biden's whole pitch in 2020 was. I'll tone things down. It won't be drama all the time. It'll be easy sailing. You won't constantly be hearing about me or seeing me. There won't be scandals. And of course, that was all a lie. Right. Right? It was all a lie. Look at Hunter and China and all those scandals and the laptops. And his, 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 his dementia and all this crap, it has not been easier at all than the four years under Trump. It's been more drama and, and scandal and lies and bullshit. And I think people are just tired of that. 
people don't want that anymore. I mean, that's part of the reason they don't want Trump and Biden to run. It's partly their age, but partly the fact that they're just over them. They're over the drama that the Michigas that comes with these two old guys. And I truly think, not to mention the threat of World War Three. Yeah, you know. So Andrew, but it's. Uh, I, I think that at this point, people, there's, you know, this is one of those things where people are like, when you see the polls and you see no one wants Trump or, or Biden, people are looking for an alternative, right? And, and what they always say in politics is, well, they got to get the alternative. You got to give them the alternative. If they don't have the alternative, they're just going to default to Trump or Biden, right? Default to what they know, the devil they know. So Trump, Biden, DeSantis and RFK Jr., to an extent also, have to give them that alternative. I'm the alternative. You don't have to default. You know, that's why the polls, the early ridiculous polls, and a guy named Bill Mitchell on Twitter who I follow has brought this up many times. You have all these polls that show that nobody wants Biden to run anymore. Nobody wants Trump to run anymore. So 70% of people don't want Trump to even run. Forget about win. They didn't want him to even run. Yet he's dominating in all these polls. Does that make sense? That 70% of people don't want him to even run, yet in all these polls, he's dominating DeSantis. So, no, I don't believe that. Obviously, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't jive. People just need to hear the alternative. And that number, those numbers you see, these early ridiculous, you know, national numbers will change. They'll switch because... When seven out of 10 people don't even want you to run again, your support is very soft. You're basically, if you're getting any support, it's because of your name, because you're just the popular name, because you're the known quantity. That's it. But look at with Biden. We saw the same thing, right? He won. He got 81 million votes, the most votes ever for a president in the history of our country. And within six months, his approval was 40. So people say, wait a minute, how's that jive? Had 81 million people, the most votes ever. And six months later, his number is so low because his support was so soft because most of those votes were anti-Trump, not pro-Biden. And that's another problem with Donald Trump. He's got this very strong cult, absolutely, who will vote for him. But he also brings out people to vote against him. And when I say that, I mean people who usually don't vote. That's what happened in 2020. People usually don't vote. That's why it didn't make sense to Donald Trump. That's why it didn't make sense to some people who believe the election was not real. Because it brought out people who have never voted before and may never vote again as long as Trump isn't running. I have to come out and vote against this crazy guy. I have to come out and vote against him. I have to do it. And that's what he brings out. So those people will most likely stay home as they usually do if DeSantis is the nominee and not Donald Trump because no derangement syndrome. I know, I know, I know. People are going to say, well, people are going to hate DeSantis. Yeah, but they hated, the left hated Romney and they, and they hated McCain, right? And they hated W and they hated all Republicans that run, but not like Donald Trump. There's nothing. DeSantis derangement syndrome will never be half as strong as Trump during just it just won't there's something about the entity of Donald Trump that does this 
And uh, it's a psychological depth that we'll never be able to get to here ever on the show. So without Trump, you're not going to get those people who came out in 2020 who said, well, I have to, it's my civic duty to come out and vote against this lunatic who's going to destroy the world, right? That's what they believed. They believed he was a lunatic who was going to get us into World War III or end the war or press the nuclear codes, even though, of course, to his credit for four years, there were no new wars. And he kept crazy dictators at bay because they were so unsure of what he might do. People still believed because CNN and MSNBC told them that this guy would destroy the country and the world would end and we'd have World War Three, Four, and Five combined. So they had to come out and vote against him. So we need to get past that. We need to get we need to keep all those people home. Right? They stayed home with Romney against uh they they stayed home with McCain against Obama. They stayed home with Romney against uh Obama. I, I should actually say those people hated, you know, the, the the, the people who didn't like Bush on the left or the people who didn't like Obama on the right or who didn't like McCain on the left or didn't like Romney on the left, it was nowhere near as strong as the hatred people on the left have against Donald Trump. It doesn't, it doesn't come close. So the people who usually don't vote didn't vote until 2020. Then they came out and they voted. They did to a lesser extent in 2016 also. People are listening and saying, but Mike, Trump won in 2016. So where were those people then? Well, they did. Hillary won the popular vote by 3 million. But Biden won it by 7 million. And remember, the difference between 2016 and 2020 is that Donald Trump hadn't been president yet. And a lot of people in 2016, a lot of liberals just didn't believe he would beat Hillary. They didn't, need, they didn't think they had to come out and vote. Because there was no way Donald Trump was going to win, right? But in 2020, it was a different story because he had won and he had been president. And they were afraid he'd win again. So all these facts matter, right? And the Trump's cult will tell you they don't. Or they'll tell you that Trump will overcome them because everyone hates Biden so much. And that's not true. There's just nothing... That's happened in polling or in the fabric of our country that said things have changed. More people hate Trump now more than ever. So it's not it's, it's simply the case of as, as much as people hate Biden. And we still don't know if the nominee is going to be Joe Biden. But even if it is the hatred, the Trump derangement syndrome is incredibly strong. It's much stronger than Biden derangement syndrome. It's not, you can't even compare the two. You can't even compare the two. The hatred for Trump is so strong that people will come out and vote again. There's nothing that tells us, those 81 million people that voted for Biden because they were against Trump are going to not vote this time or vote for Donald Trump. There's, there's nothing that tells us that at all. It's not like Trump is uh, ahead of Biden by 15 points. In fact, most polls, he's behind. He's behind. Right now, with Biden's approval of 35, with like 30% of the people saying he's handling the economy well, with 80% of people saying they don't want him to even run again, he's still beating Trump in most polls. 
So just think about that for a second. And Trump's not even the nominee yet. I know I talk sense on this show and that's not going to matter to the cult of Trump. I know. Just like when I talk sense about how bad Biden is, it's not going to matter to the establishment Democrats who will stay by his side forever, no matter what. But all I can tell you is I think the trajectory that that DeSantis is on is a good one. I think he knows what he's doing. And I think that that whittling away at the chipping away at the 90 percent of Republican primary voters who are not in the cult of Trump is the way to go. Is the way to go. In fact, Town Hall today wrote, this is townhall.com. Kurt Schlichter wrote, DeSantis refuses to lose. And it's a good column. And it's basically about what I've, what I've just sort of been talking about, which is that it's this long-term strategy, right, of, 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 of chipping away at Trump's base and playing this long game and outlasting Trump. And in that interview with Jesse Waters, DeSantis said very succinctly that he's not afraid of Donald Trump. He doesn't really care about Donald Trump because he's just going to do his own thing, right? He's going to do his own thing. Like this reporter, this, this writer at Town Hall calls it the Fabian strategy. Stay alive, build up your forces and wait for the right time to fight. DeSantis need not be the guy who takes on Trump head to head. Chris Christie has decided to do that. So let the former Jersey governor waddle into the octagon and do battle. DeSantis will be building an army of door knockers in Iowa, while Trump, who's allegedly spending money he should be spending on infrastructure on his legal bills, fulminates at his nemesis du jour. Trump's strategy is inevitability. He is seeking to dominate, demonstrate that his victory in the primary, we never hear about his plan to achieve one of those victories in the general election, where he actually takes office instead of, quotes, wins, and then channels Stacey Abrams from the golf course is a done deal. So you hear about how DeSantis is finished, how his campaign is the worst that ever was, about how he's a coward, and of course, meatball. But Fabian did not waver. They called him a coward, inept and probably meatballless. <laughs> but he held firm to his strategy, and Rome got stronger as Hannibal got weaker. That's the plan. Trump has peaked at about 50% of the GOP vote in some polls. He can only go down since half the party has moved on. People want to win. And the longer they have to be reminded about the tiresome aspects of the Trump show, the more likely they are to look for an alternative, as I was talking about. And there's no alternative. But DeSantis, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott were plausible maybe 20 years ago. No one wants pious Mike Pence. Chris Christie's sell by date was like 2012. And the rest of them are simply punchlines. Do you know anyone saying, gosh, Will Hurd is my guy? Who is Will Hurd? I thought he was an actor. I guess he was a congressperson. They will all run out of money along the way. It's a two-man race. And as a marathon, Ron DeSantis, like Fabius, must merely hold on. He just has to not quit. That's why they're trying their ham-handed attempts to psyche him out and get him off his plan. They know that if Ron DeSantis does not get crushed now, he's in the fight, and the decisive battles will be in Iowa and New Hampshire. Team DeSantis preparing for groundwork for those fights while Trump is trying to relive the glory days of 2016 with lots of social media interviews and the occasional rally to audiences of superfans 
who follow his shows like patriotic, grateful deadheads with MAGA hats instead of tie-dye. Will the DeSantis-Fabian strategy work? Fabius's plan did. Rome survived, grew more powerful, eventually beat the Carthaginians in the Second Punic War. In the Third Punic War, the Romans finished a job sowing the ruins of Carthage with salt. Hopefully, if DeSantis' strategy pays off and he wins, unlike Trump, DeSantis is beating Biden in battleground states. He can pull the Carthage on the whole damn swamp because that's how Romans roll. So, yeah, I agree with this. And like I've said, those independents are very important. Those swing states are incredibly important. And it's uh, just, once again, I guess ignoring, I, I talked about how the, the left-wing media and the right-wing media is mostly against DeSantis, and they're, and they're uh, paying people to write these stories about how his campaign is done before it's even gotten started, really. And as I said, he has to defeat all that, but... I guess the way he defeats all that is by ignoring it, just ignoring the bullshit and continuing to campaign and talk the truth and talk about sanity. And uh, that's basically what he needs to do. Um, there is one other story I want to get to. And uh, <laughs> this is written in The Intercept today. Oh, boy, don't be on. You're not behind a paywall, are you? No. Okay, good. Uh, Jimmy Tobias writes in The Intercept, top on NIH official advised COVID scientists that he uses personal email to avoid FOIA. David Morins, a high-ranking official at the NIH, told prominent scientists discovering COVID's origins that he would delete emails. A top advisor to Tony Fauci at the National Institute of Health admitted he used a personal email account in apparent effort to evade the strictures of the Freedom of Information Act, according to records obtained by congressional investigators probing the origins of COVID-19, the official also expressed his intention to delete emails in order to avoid media scrutiny. As you know, I try to always communicate on Gmail because my NIH email is foiled constantly, wrote David Morins, a high-ranking NIH official, in a September 2021 email, one of a series of email exchanges that included many leading scientists involved in the bitter COVID origins debate. Stuff sent to my Gmail gets to my phone, he added, but not my NIH computer. Um, this story, if you read it in The Intercept, I won't read the whole thing because it goes into great detail about this, is more about how as Michael Schellenberger writes, Fauci said scientists had independently concluded a COVID lab leak was unlikely. Now this new email makes clear that he was the one who orchestrated the disinformation campaign against it. Tony Fauci doesn't want his fingerprints on origin stories was part of these emails. And this is what we've talked about for a long time now, that because Fauci was fucking around at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And it was being reported that this could have been leaked from that lab, that COVID could have started from that lab. Therefore, going back to tracing back to Tony Fauci's fucking around out there, that this would mean that Tony Fauci was at least partially responsible for this COVID leak. And Fauci didn't want, of course, any connection to that. 
So he had people delete emails. He had people who mentioned these things on Twitter deleted and canceled. He used his Fauci mafia to go after people to discredit them. This is part of what Tony Fauci did. This is also why he needs to go to jail. These are all illegal activities. These are criminal activities. To cover up something like this, the origins of COVID-19, which he himself will say, we could refute the numbers all they want. And they are bullshit numbers. But he'll claim the numbers are real, that they killed over a million Americans and God knows how many people elsewhere. He's a murderer then. He's a mass murderer. And not only is he a murderer, a mass murderer, for allowing this stuff to leak out of that lab, and for all the lockdowns and mandates and everything that he made sure would happen, but also covering up this story is illegal. And so I'm no lawyer, but I would think you can get Fauci on a lot of different criminal accounts. Look at what they just tried to do to that cop in Parkland, right? And he was acquitted today, right? The cop, they said, uh, Peterson, right? who wouldn't go in, they claimed he endangered the lives of children by not going in and taking out the shooter, and he was acquitted today. So they'll go after someone like that on such flimsy garbage of, well, I'm not a cop, but I know what cops need to do, right? I know what he should have done. I would have done that. I would have gone in there, guns a-blazing. Yeah, sure you would have. Sure you would have. So they'll, they'll try to prosecute and put someone like that in jail on such flimsy shit. Yet no one is going after Tony Fauci, right? Comes from the lab he was fucking around in, kills millions of people, tries to cover it up. Nothing, nothing. All of the mandates that he got done that had hurt and killed people and set our society back and children's education back. Nothing, no charges. Well, let's try to get Ron DeSantis to say he would charge him because we know. As Ron DeSantis just said, he's not going to say something if he's not going to do it. Maybe DeSantis will. Because someone needs to make sure this guy gets his comeuppance. And that ain't a job job at Georgetown University. Oh, hey, domestic. Hello, hello. (laughs) How's it going tonight? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's it's not easy. It's not easy. No, I, I wanted to follow up on what you've been talking about. So first of all, Daniel, many months ago, said that if there is no accountability, it's going to be bad. And uh, it's getting to me more and more. We need closure. And the only closure is accountability by someone for something. And uh, if we don't see it, we're going to a lot of bitterness and this residue of discontent is going to remain in us for a long time, not in all of us, but in many of times, more importantly, the impunity will have dire consequences. You know how we complain that you can shoplift up to $950. And that's why we have so much shoplifting and crime in San Francisco because of this impunity. Imagine the impunity at that level, how much it emboldens and will embolden other politicians and health professionals to commit these massive crimes in the future. If they know, then they can do well, think about it right now. You can run a war in Ukraine and send hundreds of billions of dollars for a questionable war. You can lock down 
businesses, the whole world, the whole country for two years. And you can siphon money, you know, trillions of dollars causing inflation. And, you know, we haven't recovered fully, at least San Francisco, the world. Many places haven't fully recovered from the lockdowns, from the apathy, from the economic crisis. And uh, if you can get away with that, with total impunity, what can't you get away with? Well, absolutely. And in, in a second, I'll play um, a little video. I don't know if you've seen this of um, Dr. Um, what's his name? I'm losing my mind. Malone. Malone. Yes. No, not Malone. The, the Macalo. Macaulay. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All these doctors' names mixed up. Talking about the vaccine, where there were three different batches. Yeah. You know, the three different batches, and the first batch was like a saline solution, didn't prevent the spread, but no one got injured off of it. And the second batch was there were some vaccine injuries off. And then there was a third batch where a lot of people, like about 5% or something of the people who got that batch ended up getting pretty damn sick. So I'll play that video talking about how the different batches of the vaccine were, yeah. uh, were different. But what I also want to talk about is what you've just said, which is this whole idea of accountability. And so we talk about accountability of the, the lab leak and covering up the leg leak or these the vaccines and their injuries and the way they covered that up. And they said all these different batches were the same. And they're still saying that, by the way, now. There was no difference between the three batches. When we have actually – this is a study out of Denmark, which has shown that the three batches were very different. Okay? So all these – and once again, I, I don't accept the excuse that they didn't know this, right? That they didn't know any of this stuff ahead of time. I believe they knew it ahead of time. They've known it all along. And they continue not only to not admit they were wrong and they made mistakes, very, very dire mistakes, but they continue to double and triple down and say yep. what we did is right and we'll yep. continue to do it and we'll do yep. it again if we have to. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, and, it's, it's like not punishing the Nazis and the Nazis not even admitting what they did was horrible, but saying, you know what? It was right. And, and we'll do it again. We'll, we'll get except except Germany has been paying many, many millions and trillions of euros to many kind of people for what they've done, at least. And they have recognized that it's as if none of that ever happened. Right. That's what I yeah. mean. It would be like would people accept. Would liberals accept if Germany never admitted having done anything wrong? You know, so it's it's that kind of thing that we're dealing with here where in, until and we all agree on this until we punish them, until we see until we we have in the history books that we punish these people and um, they can do it again. I want to give praise, special praise to doctors like Dr. Macalo, Malone, Scott Atlas, and all others who have been safe, selflessly, selflessly advocating and fighting this. And they're still fighting this to prove their point, probably not being compensated at all, still risking their jobs and their livelihoods. And they're still doing this just for one reason, because they care so much about something so important. Absolutely. In fact, another video, if I can find it, this is from yesterday of uh, uh, of, of um, Atlas talking about how, you know, Trump is at least partially at fault 
yeah. for for a lot of for Fauci and for a lot of the lockdown I, stuff. Because- I, I have a question to you first. What do you say to all these people lately who say that? Oh, come on, get over it. Enough already whining. You sound like a broken record talking about this. What do you have to say to them? Oh, I don't know. I mean, did people say that to me? I mean, look. I oh, here it is. I'll, I'll post this in a second. But I'll, I'll, I was on Bart. I was going to that game, the perfect game that I witnessed last night, and I was ha- taking Bart to Oakland. I hadn't taken Bart since before COVID. Okay, and uh, I'm on Bart, and I swear to you, half the people were wearing masks, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, is this 2021? Have I gone back? For two years, two, because half the people on Bart, I'm not exaggerating. So this was leaving to, leaving the city of San Francisco, heading to Oakland. So this would be PM out of town, right? And half the people were wearing masks, and 90% of that half were Asians. I took a good look around for a couple of minutes to make sure I was getting it all right. And so half the people on Bart were wearing masks, and 90% of that half were Asians. So I simply tweeted, what is it with Asians? Why are they still wearing masks? You know? And there were some people who responded saying, you know, well, you're right, they're idiots, they're this, they're that. You know, they, 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 they just followed what they've been told, and they don't think for themselves, and all the things that are very true. But then there were several people who were defending them. And even... We're saying things like, well, because they're smart and unselfish. We still have people who in 2023 think you're being smart and unselfish for wearing a a mask, even a cloth mask. Right. So domestic, think about that. We it's 2023. It's July. Basically, it's the summer of 2023. Three and a half years into this no but there were still people out there who think it's the right thing to do it's the moral ethical thing to do to wear a mask now now what do you say to people though who say that uh, they're sick of uh, us talking about it that it's old news that we need to just get over it and move on it's not old news they're still wearing masks oh if it was old news they would be doing the same things they were doing in february of 2020 right they'd be back to normal right it's right. not old news. They're still wearing masks. Okay, They're still not say? admitting they were wrong. They're still saying we're going to give the shot to six-month-olds forever. They're oh. still saying if this happens five years from now, we'll lock down and we'll lock down harder. It's not over. Okay. Domestic. When mm-hmm. they're in jail, it'll be over. <laughs> really, when they're prosecuted, when they're in jail for this, and it's written in the history books that this was 100% wrong, then I will say, you know what? I think it's over. Just as I believe it's over, but there are many Jews who will say, look, (laughs) the domestic, the Nazis were punished. The prison guards, if we found them at 90 years old, we put them in jail for the rest of their lives, no matter how much of their lives were left, okay? Germany, like you said, they teach in classrooms how awful they were and what they did and how bad it was, okay? And there are still many Jews who say, never forget. Okay, Jews have not forgotten the Holocaust, which was 90 fucking years ago, and they've gotten justice. So why? (laughs) This is only three years into this. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I wanted. um... Oh, I forgot. I was going (laughs) to (laughs) ask. It's me yelling at you. It made you you totally forget what you were going to say. 
But look, the fact of the matter is, and this is my feeling on this, and I think I'm, I think I'm right. Asians, look, some people said it's a cultural thing. Okay. But it wasn't, this is, we're not talking, most of these Asians in San Francisco are not fresh off the boat. They're fucking, they've either been here forever no or they were born You here. wouldn't see one mask in Chinatown up until 2020. Exactly. Okay? I don't, don't want to exactly. hear about that. That's not cultural. I don't want to hear about that. Right. If it was a cultural thing, and I understand it's a cultural thing in China, and that's not because of viruses, because of pollution. I understand yeah. that. But it's not a cultural thing in San Francisco it's not. until it's April not. of 2020. Yeah. No, it's right. not. Yeah. So here's my feeling on these Asians. And I'm sorry if I offend anyone too bad. It's not in their culture or DNA to wear masks, but it is in their culture, in their DNA, where they were born here, have been here for 10 years, have been here for 80 years, to be obedient to the government. And that is the communist way, is to be obedient to the authoritarian figure. The, the authoritarian figure says, this is what you but should wait. do. But and wait, they do if it. the rule is still not around anymore, who are you obeying and what are you obeying? It's not, it, it's, it doesn't have to be a rule. Domestic, go into BART and you'll say it says masks recommended still. Oh. So the authorities are saying, we recommend you do this. And so the Asians do it. That's the does, problem. Does our government realize, the local government, that, that if they want to restore normalcy here, they should do every single thing possible to make this place look normal, including encouraging people not to wear masks as much as possible? And to come on, domestic. Does anything they do here possible? make you believe they want to be normal? They want to go back to 2019. They don't want to do that. Yeah. They want this oh, I great remember. reset. I they want to be normal. I remembered. How long did it take for the Iraq war to be universally condemned by 100% of the people? How many never. years? It never was. No, there right still now it is. Right there. now it is. Nah. No, 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 no. 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 Come on. Everybody agrees. No. No. The neocons, like Bill Crystal, they'll never admit it was. Look, they'll say there were certain things we could have done differently, but they'll never say the war was a total but, atrocity. But there is a universal condemnation. If you come out on the street now and ask liberal conservative, whoever, they will tell you that it was a mistake, it was a lie, blah, blah, blah. How long did it take? Once again, I'll not admit it's overwhelming, but I'll say it's a majority. And, uh, oh, God. Um, let's see, 2003, it started. Uh, I say, well, look, 2006, Bush won a pretty solid victory, right? Mm -hmm. 2004, mm -hmm. sorry, 2004. He won a pretty solid victory. So that was about a year and a half into the war. So about a year and a half into the war, people were not believing that it was a, a, a wrong decision because Bush won re-election. So another year later, still probably, I'd say it took until almost the end of Bush's second term. So what was that? What am I doing? 2008, 2007? So what, four years? So maybe years. maybe five years is the time it takes for people to come to terms with a lie. I don't know. Maybe that's what it takes. Um, I think this lie is much more pervasive than the Iraq war lie. I really do. Uh, simply because, at least with the Iraq war, you had a section of the media who was, even from very quickly, was talking about the the, the negatives, the criticism of it, where this COVID thing, almost everyone was all in for the first six months. And then, you know, 
we start to hear, especially right wing media, a lot of them talking about. But but even but off the bat into the first six months, let's face it, even much of the right wing media wasn't complaining too much about the mandates and the lockdowns. It wasn't really until the masking went on forever and the vaccine mandates began that you started to see some on the right starting to turn against it. Obviously, everyone on the left was totally for it. So I don't know. I think this is, I have a feeling, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the difference psychologically, domestic. Okay. The Iraq war was there, okay? It wasn't here. It was thousands of miles away. Right. This, it was, COVID was everywhere and it affected people here. It affected people personally, physically, psychologically, emotionally. It had much more of an impact than the Iraq war did here personally, person to person. So right. I think that's a problem. I think that's, it's going to take a lot longer, I think, for people to snap out of it if they ever do, if they ever do. But look, it's, uh, depends on where in the country you live, right? I mean, I was in Florida and almost nobody. In Florida, if someone was wearing a mask, you noticed it because it was so rare, right? You know, you know what the sad part is? And uh, I, we know it's true. If it wasn't for DeSantis, it would. If it was someone else who had the same thing going as California, there would be no uprising anywhere in 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 this country. We just don't do what France does. We don't do what Germany does. We don't fight back for some reason. There is no uprisings. No, but even in those countries, they were pretty submissive when it comes to COVID. But they right? were fighting back hard in Holland, in 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 Denmark, uh, and even in Switzerland. There was significant opposition. And we only saw protests on TV. We've never yeah. seen them. Yeah, yeah. And that's really uh, discouraging yeah. because I spoke with people in Florida and I asked them, what if you had another governor? They, <laughs> everybody said the same thing. We would follow the law. Mm -hmm. They would follow the rules. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, there's no doubt about it. It, it, like I said, unfortunately, there were too many people in this country who just took the word of whoever their leader was, right? And I think we're, we're really we're in a situation now where that is the problem. The, the 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 leaders saw that they were able to be authoritarians, and the people did as they were told. So until these people who did this stuff are punished, they know they've gotten away with it, and they'll try to get away with it again. They'll try to get it. We, we, you and I talk about that all the time, don't we? If, yeah. if, uh, if a, a month from now, London Breeds said there's a new strain and it's killing people, how, how many people in San Francisco would go back to doing things? Oh, it's going to be so easy. Everything yeah. is ready. They're already conditioned to that. There's no surprises instantly. Right. Everything can be locked down. In, absolutely. It would be right. so easy. Yeah. Right. That's the problem. That's the problem. It, 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 <laughs> Until these people are punished for what they did, they'll do it again. It's the same. It's like any criminal. Come on, it's like it's like just like little, you know, uh, street criminal scum. If they don't get punished for what they do, they'll rob the store again the next day. Come on, they have to be. These people have to be prosecuted, and I believe there's plenty of law on our side that can get prosecutions done. If there was a one fucking district attorney with balls who would bring charges, just like they bring charges against Daniel Penny, they'll bring charges against Trump, they'll bring charges against a cop, Peterson, because he didn't charge in and get riddled with bullets by someone with an AK-47. There's plenty of law on our side that can get these fucking people indicted by a grand jury 
They need to do this. They need to go after these people for what they did. They need to punish them for what they did. And the only reason they're not doing it is because they don't have the fucking balls to do it. So I would like to ask Ron DeSantis if he'll do it when he's president. I want to ask RFK Jr. if he would do it if he becomes president, if he would use the law to go after these people who did this to us. Those are the questions that need to be asked. And I have to admit, even these uh, conservative people on Fox are not asking that question. Why aren't they asking that question? I think I think it's because it's much easier. People are tired of thinking about it. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. They just want to put it behind and never think about it. And because they believe this will help them go back to normal. The less you talk about it, the less you think about it. You act like it never happened. And maybe that's the best for their psychological recovery, especially if they don't see what we see, if they don't see empty storefronts, if they don't see still a lot of masks around stickers that for some mysterious reason haven't been taken off of many buildings. I don't know why the buildings don't do that. The, yeah, the first, yeah. Yeah, but it's easier not to talk about, you know, these environmentalists and it's easier not to talk about climate change and it's easier not to talk about immigration, yet they still ask these questions. I mean, come on. COVID's a big part of why Ron DeSantis and, and RFK Jr. have support. It's a big reason why they can even run this time around. And so they should be asked these questions. They should be asked these questions, especially Ron DeSantis. Come on, you know, all of his successes in Florida going against the way so many other governors did it. And he was right and he was proven right. He should be asked the question, will you go after these people who did this stuff to us? He will, never have, he will never have the guts of saying yes, and I'll tell you why. Because if he says yes, he automatically alienates people. If he says no, he's not going to lose the votes just because he says no of those who support him. So he, it's a lose-lose situation. I don't think, uh, domestic, I'm going to disagree. He had no problem saying that he'll kill these cartels. Stone Cold killed them. He'll have them killed. All right? That's not exactly non-controversial thing to say. That you're going to, these cartel people, you're going to kill them if you have to. Well, that's different from Fauci, from prosecuting Fauci. Why? When so many people think so highly of him. Uh, so many people. Republicans? And, huh? Republicans? Well, he can always get away and say, I did my best under the circumstances. No. And I thought I was doing, and also I didn't make no, any no, decisions. No. I was advising. Republicans, most Republicans hate Fauci as much as they hate illegal immigrants and, and cartels. But he was advising. Nobody had to take his advice. There was no obligation. All he no, 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 no. We have proof that he covered up the, 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 the Wuhan thing. He covered it up. He didn't want to trace back to him. He well, covered up maybe, the fact that, that it was leaked. He covered up the origins of a disease that killed millions of people. That's not my, I'm suggesting things. We have emails now. Look at Michael Schellenberger. You know everything he says and writes yeah. about. I just talked about it. We have facts we have evidence everybody present, has to go to jail. wait a minute we have evidence you can present to a grand jury that fauci tried to cover up the origins of a disease that killed millions this is not well, i suggested things this is this is facts this well, is like a Nixon, Nixonian cover-up not, this not is like only a him, but those who censored no but those huh? who censored twitter and censored information everybody who censored everything on twitter about side effects, about injuries, they, they should also go to jail. Of course. No, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. But what do you do? You, you want to go after – you do what's right. You go after the people at the top first, not the people at the bottom. 
You don't scapegoat people at the bottom. Go after people at the top first, and that will lead you to other people that you can go after. But no, I, I don't think just some fucking lackey intern at the NIH should be prosecuted and not Tony Fauci. We should be going after Tony Fauci. We should be going after Peter Hotez. We should be going after these people, the, the, the architect. Look, I'll, I'll bring up a Holocaust word, the architects. You go after the architects of the Holocaust first. Then you can go after the prison guards, but you have to go after the architects first and the Hotezes and the Burkses and the Fauci's and the Walensky's. These are the architects. These are the people you have to go after. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I wish it did happen. You know, I'm, I'm also bloodthirsty for everything that has been done. What about London Bridge? Should she be punished too? Probably. Oh, I think many of them should be. I think we should look at all these people. Of course, they're all further down the totem pole. Obviously, the mayor of San Francisco is going to be much further down the totem pole than Tony Fauci. But yes, I mean, you need to look at a lot of these officials. You have to look at Gavin Newsom before London Breed, right? You have to look at people like Andrew Cuomo with the nursing homes. Newsom and Cuomo, especially the nursing home stuff is criminal. That was criminal. That killed. Instead of being punished, they're grooming them for being a president. That's great. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, so. It's look, once again, just ask the question. If I'm a reporter, I'm going to ask the question. I don't have to put words in a candidate's mouth. They can answer the question any way they want. But I want to I want to propose that question. Propose that question. Will you look to criminally charge these people knowing what we know now about mandates and the cover ups and the emails and the censoring and all of that stuff? And the way they use the government, the 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 uh, the government to to censor people, okay, and the political power to eliminate people, will you go after them? That's all. That's it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Trump said he'd go after Hillary. He never did. He lied. Lock her up. He lied about it. So that's a. But he had no problem saying he was going to do it. But he, of course, he never did. You know. So you need to get answers from these people and then hold them accountable if they win and they do it or they don't do it. And, and, and let me guess, uh, putting on a show uh, of gr- cross on cross, grilling them for five minutes by each Senator and then letting them go. That doesn't count as accountability, right? Just a little theater. On- yeah. I mean, look, Ron DeSantis could be doing what you're saying he's doing in a way, which is in his mind, he knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to go after them, but he might not be coming out and, and, and saying it, you know, for for reasons that you've talked about. But he knows that if he wins, he's going to do this. So there's always that possibility for sure. Um, but, he, you know, he has spoken very harshly about people like Fauci many times. So, uh, you know, it's it's very possible that this will be part of what he does once he takes office. But I would still, as a journalist, ask that question. This is a question that's on the mind of a lot of Republican voters. Will you do this? Will you at least look into this and get the answer from them? See what they say. That's all. You know. Well, thanks for your th- thoughts, Mike. I will get off. I'll continue listening. Yes. Thanks, Domestic. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm going to actually... I wanted to just play these two quick clips. 
Um, and this is the first one is McCullough. And this is McCullough talking about what I was saying about the, the three different batches of vaccines. Make sure this volume's up on this. Okay. A paper by Schmeling and colleagues from Denmark has clearly shown that the batches of vaccines that come out, the lots uh, groupings, are not the same. They had all the Pfizer data administered in Denmark, and they had every side effect. They found three risk groups of batches. The first batch, which was about a third of people who got the vaccine, zero side effects, nothing whatsoever. It's like taking a shot of saline, nothing. The second group, which is about two-thirds, had some moderate side effects, uh, but, but the, the rate of serious side effects was, was pretty low. Then there's a third group, which is 4.2% of everybody who uh, of the vials, their side effect rate was through the roof. When they did what's called an R-squared analysis, that is how much of the variation in side effects is explained by this batch-to-batch variability, the answer was 75% plus. That means we have a product manufacturing problem. Either the vials, these, these files, and unfortunately, these two ladies almost certainly received a bad batch. And these uh, vials either have hyper-concentrated lipid nanoparticles and excessive amounts of messenger RNA. And in the United States, 94% of people who took a shot took messenger RNA, so we can stay on that, that, that uh, technology. We, uh, the other possibilities is that it could be contaminated with what's called cDNA or plasmids or other contaminants. It's certainly possible. I think hyperconcentration of messenger RNA is most likely because what we're seeing are messenger RNA spike protein mediated injuries. But Senator Ron Johnson, just from the VAERS data, has sent analysis to the CDC on this and the FDA asking for them to analyze the lot-to-lot variations that we're seeing. And he received a multi-page letter back that essentially says, we disagree. We don't see any difference in lot to lot. Now it's in the peer-reviewed publication uh, forever in medical history, showing it is a batch variability problem. Fortunately, most Americans received batch one or batch two. They're okay. Fortunately, they're fine. But for the small number of people who did receive a batch, we have big problems. Uh, Zogby survey done last summer population-based sample suggests 15% of Americans now have some injury, disability, or some medical problem. So you see, that's the batches that I was talking about. And they talk about the different batches, you know, and the, the liars will say, the big pharma liars say, there's no difference. They're all the same. The different numbers, but the same thing. And McCullough has evidence now from Denmark that that's not true at all, that there were three batches. The first batch was okay useless against combating COVID, but no one got sick from it. The second batch, eh, we have some problems with. And the third batch is where we have the most problems. And that Zogby survey, right? 15%, 15% of people say they had some kind of negative uh, side effect, varying, I guess, uh, intensities from, from the jabs. So once again, this is all stuff that they knew that was covered up. It was covered up. They know what the batches are ahead of time. They know if there's a difference in the batches ahead of time. They bullshitted. This is uh, Atlas talking about what I've talked about, which is Trump and, and putting Fauci front and center and and who's responsible for, for him. Let's see if I can get this to work. Oh, wait. The people who yeah. were the advocates for the lockdowns, they got what they wanted. They got their lockdowns. Uh, the lockdowns were implemented throughout most of the United States, with some few exceptions 
like the people who I advised, okay, like Governor DeSantis of Florida. Did, he ended the lockdown very early. Uh, Governor Nome of South Dakota. Uh, most of the country implemented the lockdowns, and the judgment of the success of the pandemic management lies with the people who got what they wanted, the lockdowners. So if you think that Dr. Fauci was right and did a good job, then you're saying that President Trump and Biden both did a good job. If you're saying that the Trump administration had a bad policy and killed people, then you're saying that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx advised a bad policy that killed people. There's no separation between what Trump said and did, what Trump administration did, and what the Fauci-Birx policy was. And, and, and remember um, that Trump brought, Trump will say, well, I brought you in. I brought, well, Trump brought him in in August. So March, April, May, June, July, August, six months, half a year, half a calendar year later, he brought in, uh, you know, after, after many people whispering in Trump's ear how bad Fauci was, one of them being DeSantis, he brought in Atlas, too little, too late. Everything was pretty much etched in stone by August of 2020. People were wearing masks. They were listening. They were locked down. They were losing their businesses, so on and so forth. The vaccine was a couple of months away from coming out. It was in production, Operation Warp Speed. So he brought him in too late instead of putting him. Just look, you can't tell me this whole thing would have turned out a lot different if Trump had brought in Atlas in March 15th of 2020 and put him at that podium instead of Tony Fauci. I think it would have been a totally different story, right? So we talk about, Domestic said, Fauci advised, Fauci recommended, and Trump did it, and many governors did it. Um, so you would think that Atlas would have advised differently. Jay Bhattacharya would have advised differently. Marty McCarry, there were many doctors out there, McCullough, so on, Malone, that would have advised differently. And so he brings Atlas in in August of 2020, too little, too late. And then he lets the three musketeers, being Fauci, Burks, and Redfield, totally dominate him. Okay? And they listened to Fauci, Burks, and Redfield, and they wouldn't listen to Atlas, and Atlas got tired of it and left shortly thereafter, I believe before the end of the year, and went back to California. So Trump is responsible like he said, Trump, Biden, Fauci, all one, not separate. Okay, that was a good show. That was a good show. A good post-perfect game show. Hey, so I saw a perfect game in person. Did I do a perfect show? I guess that's TBD, huh? Anyway, tomorrow is Friday, which means I will do a couple of film reviews. Um, they, uh, am I telling you, tell you going to make you... Am I going to tell you what films I'm going to review, or am I going to make you tune in to the Friday Night Show to, to find out? I just booked John Williams' flight and the Boston Pops. It'll be here. Every Thursday, I have to book this flight. Incredible. Uh, but they'll be here to play me in. Hooray for Hollywood. And uh, I'll review Yeah, I'll review No Hard Feelings and uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Donald Trump is too old. Joe Biden's too old. Geraldo Rivera is too old. Is Harrison Ford too old? Tune in tomorrow to find out. <laughs> okay. Uh, the name of this show is Unless Be Heard, and it airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, unless I'm attending a perfect game, which we know is a 0.01% chance, and 
I don't think lightning is going to strike twice in the same place. So that'll never happen again. But other than that, I'm here. And I'll be back here with you tomorrow night for a big Friday night show. But until then, this is Mike Achopoli reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.